All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And on this episode, we had a returning guest, our first returning guest, I believe. Julio, can you agree with that? Confirm or deny? She was, she was so good, we had to have her on twice. Farah Jackson, and now she's married, so she has a hyphenated name. Farah Jackson, roll, Raul, roll, Raul. She corrects me in the episode um, about the correct pronunciation. But she is the vice president of affordable lending at Greystone. She transitioned over from affordable development at Greystone. Last time she was on the, on the, on the podcast, she was affordable development. Now she's affordable lending. She moved from Georgia to New Jersey. A lot of changes going on in her life. And uh, I love speaking with her. And she's very informative and uh, has great stories to tell. So please enjoy this episode with Farah. All right, Farah Jackson Rowell. Is that pronounced correctly? Rowell. Rowell. Some people like Rowell. Yes. Farah. Is it Farah or Farah? I forget. Farah. Far away. I know. Farah Jackson Rowell. 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 Good to have you back on here. Nice to be here. Always fun. Last time we spoke, you were in Georgia, right? Correct. Now you've moved up to the big time, my home state of New Jersey. Welcome to the best days of your life ahead of you. That is so true because the move was precipitated by getting married. I know to Mr. Rowell. Mr. Rowell. That's right. (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. How's married life? It's work. People don't tell you how much work married life is, but it's awesome. I was married once. It was work. It is definitely work. It's another job. It's another job. Well, he's lucky to have you. He's a great guy. So how you been? There's been some changes in your life and your role at Greystone. Yes. For a hot minute there, you were doing affordable development. And now I think you were originally in the affordable lending space, right? That's right. Most of my career has been on the affordable lending side. I decided to uh, stick a toe in affordable development. Yes. And I have always had a lot of appreciation and respect for our affordable development partners. But now it's just so much deeper. Knowing what it takes to put a deal together from start to finish on the affordable side, I just have a newfound appreciation for what it takes and, and for what these people do to ensure that affordable housing is developed across the country. That's awesome. Well, um, yeah. What's the kind of the difference in the role? Like, I mean, I like, tell me about like what, I guess when you moved into the development role, what were like the hardest things, the biggest differences or the hardest things to learn? So the biggest differences were how long you have to live with a deal. You know, you'll hear from many people that are on your podcast An affordable transaction takes somewhere from three to five years to get done from start to finish. And on the lending side, we are normally, um, you know, in a deal at the back end. We're the the end part of the transaction. So we've got this little piece. And while affordable lending may still take six to maybe 12 months, Mm. it's a very small part of the transaction. And um, because of that, I'm, I'm used to being 
at the good part, the part yeah. where we're able to get deals closed and we're able to see everything come to fruition and the properties being built. And I don't get the the pain and headache of the front end where you're sourcing land and maybe that site didn't work out or you didn't get the subject to make the deal work. And so I didn't realize that I was insulated from a lot of the heartbreak in putting together an affordable housing transaction. There's like, enough heart, there's enough heartbreak, right? You don't want any more. That's right. There is enough heartbreak, even on the lending side. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was insulated from a lot of that. I, I got to um, interact with a lot more of the happy endings. That's awesome. And so you went back into the uh, lending world. And so what is it to tell us? All right. I mean, development's kind of straightforward, right? I think it's kind of you build something. I mean, you have to get the cap. The hardest part for the affordable is like getting like the deal uh, uh, approved, right? Um, and then getting the tax credits approved and putting together the capital stack, right? Isn't that is a big portion of, of the challenges. But today you're dealing with even more challenges with the supply chain issues and the cost of construction. Oh, yeah. You know, putting together an affordable deal is time consuming. It's really challenging. Um, however, you know, now you also have the fact that you think you got your deal done and your costs went up $2 million. Um, that's something you, you didn't have to this extent in the past. I've had that experience uh, myself in a deal, my personal deal. Uh, not affordable though, but anyways, yeah, it's supply chain, um, cost of timber, all that stuff. Um, yeah. Freaking timber. Yeah. I'm at ULI right now and there's a, actually like a, there's a discussion about timber. Oh, what are they saying? I'd be interested in, in hearing that. Uh, I don't, it's happening today at some point. I haven't, Okay. I'll let you know, I'll record it for you. That'll be awesome. <laughs> well, you know, it had gone up to historically high levels. It had started to improve as more timber mills were being opened. Um, but I know when I was leaving the development side, it had gone back up again. So, yeah. So now you're at the lending side. So how does that work? So you, um, well, can you explain to those out there who don't know, like what affordable lending actually does? What are you, what are you lending? Of course. So Greystone specifically is a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA lender. We also do CMBS bridge loan lending. Um, and essentially we are the bank for affordable housing transactions. We mm. are the capital source to allow them to be built, refinanced, rehabilitated, um, all of the things that any traditional funding source would do or provide. Gotcha. So, in our space, you know, when you're dealing with affordable housing, we're structuring tax credits. Uh, well, not technically the tax credits, but tax credit financing, the bond financing, using, you know, all the unique structures that are available in the industry from private placements to tax exempt loans, um, you know, credit enhancement or traditional, you know, financing taxable executions. Have you. All right. So let's say I'm just me, Chris Popper, right? And I want to do, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to do a development. I'm going to do an affordable development. So what do I have to do as a developer in order to go to you to get the financing? So that is such a loaded question. And, and it really depends. It depends on what type of affordable transaction, you know, affordable is, is not something that has an easy definition in some markets. It's, you know, you make, your units rents affordable and others it's having you know um 
recorded deed, deed restrictions, rent and income restrictions on the property. But let's just say that you, Chris, decided you wanted to buy a property and you wanted it to be affordable in your area to 60% of area median income. You're not building a tax credit property. You're not trying to refinance with bonds, but you you want to ensure that you have a property that is affordable for you know people who live and work in your area. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different ways that you could do that. You could go to your locale and say, hey, you know, such and such county, I want to operate this property as an affordable property. Mm-hmm. What can you do to help me with that? And many locales will say, well, if you're going to do that, I want to give you a tax exemption because we need this affordable housing. So we will record a deed restriction um, that restricts your units. And in exchange for that, we will make you exempt from property taxes as long as this property is affordable. Mm. In that case, as your lender, I could then underwrite that property tax exemption, which would allow you more proceeds um, to either buy the property, rehabilitate the property, or refinance the property. Um, That's just one avenue to doing affordable lending. There are so many different ways um, and they go from what, you know, I just described would be like the elementary school version of doing it. I like elementary school. I did. I did well. And and for people new to the affordable industry, that is one way to do it. You know, working with your state and local governments to to meet that need because it is needed everywhere Mm. to then getting up to the PhD type level where you're building new construction that's got mixed 4% and 9% in one building. Um, those type of what are called twinning or hybrid deals are definitely up there at the PhD level and uh, require a lot of thought, a lot of time, and a, a lot of knowledge and support behind it. Well, you're at the PhD, PhD level. So, um, so where does the... So you're a lender in the affordable space, yes. right? And so you have to underwrite all these different deals and see if it's worth lending on. Um, like, what are you looking for? We are looking to support the affordable housing market. Our goal is to, you know, increase the available affordable housing units in the country. And we do that by providing Fannie, Freddie, and FHA financing, which all provide preferential treatment for Mm -hmm. affordable housing, whether it be, you know, a lower debt service cover or higher loan to value or better pricing. And so we help, you know, borrowers finance those properties in manners that encourage them to maintain those affordable housing units. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, That makes sense. And then, so what is your kind of, what is your skill set by doing that? I mean, what are you kind of, what is it? take to be a underwriter on the affordable well, side? So to be an underwriter in the affordable side, which was my previous background, that is, you know, you've got to be detail oriented. You've got to be um, creative. Mm-hmm. In many cases, you have to look at what you have, see how it fits into the agency's box. And if it doesn't, you have to mitigate those concerns. And most affordable transactions are anything but vanilla. They are very yeah. much Rocky Road, um, rum raisin. Rum raisin. <laughs> they are not your typical. And so as an underwriter, you have to be able to, to think beyond the, the typical. You have to think beyond the norm. Um, as far as the production side, which is where I'm at now, you have to be an underwriter as well as, you know, a advocate. You have to help your borrower 
um, structure their deal to even get it to the underwriting process. Gotcha. Um, yeah. What does it tell me about your role? What does it what does that entail? Yeah. So my current role is what we would call a relationship manager at Grace. Gotcha. And I help borrowers exactly that structure their deals, um, manage their transaction through the underwriting and closing process. Um, I often, you know, tell clients when I work with them, tell me what your goal is. Um, because many times they have a goal and they have in their mind a vision to reach that goal. And my job is to help them reach that goal and maybe take a different path. Um, in many cases, I may know, you know, of opportunities or structures that they may not be aware of. And so my goal is really just to help clients however I can. You're a natural relationship manager. I think you should be a recruiter, but we'll talk about that after. <laughs> um, okay, I get it. And then, so you enjoy that part of it? And then- I love you, it. You love it. That's great. I, do. I, I truly am, am lucky. I love my job. I love helping clients reach those happy endings of getting deals closed. You know, now's a tough time with the current interest rate environment, but, uh, you know, there's still a lot of deals getting done. And so like you're lending, like where does the money you are lending come from? So the money that we lend in many cases comes from Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or FHA. We are the servicer. We are the, you know, lender to get them closed into those financings. Um, and so it's, you know, government sponsored agency and, and federal funds. Okay. So you have to like coordinate with these agencies. Like you just, do you have to like tell them you have to do the underwriting and send it to them? So it depends on the, the funding source for Freddie Mac. Yes. Freddie Mac re-underwrites every transaction on their targeted affordable housing platform. Um, for Fannie Mae, Fannie Mae's platform is what's called a delegated platform. Mm. So as long as we fit into their credit box, we as a lender are delegated to process and close that loan. If we do not fit in their credit box, if it's a waiver or it's something that triggers their review, then yes, they get to take a look at it and sometimes re-underwrite it. Um, FHA is, is a re-underwriting model as well. We underwrite to their standards. We submit it for their re-underwriting and their firm commitment. Um, when you talk about other products like our bridge loan funding or our private placement, um, those are also products that we have and we don't have to have those other sources approved. We have that authority. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, do you have a big team that does that? So on the dedicated affordable housing platform, my boss has, uh, I think, nine of us on the production side. And then we've got a dedicated credit team as well. So we really have a group that's focused on nothing but affordable housing. That's, you know, it allows us to really know the intricacies required of the agencies for these specialized programs. Who is your boss's favorite employee? Oh, it's me. I know. By far. Yeah. I knew the answer to that when I asked it. I'm like a lawyer. Well, you know, I'm like a lawyer. Never ask a question if you don't know, you don't the, answer, know the answer, answer to it. Right. Yep. But he and I have worked together off and on since 2005. So we have a very long relationship. We know each other well, and it makes it easy. And so he was my boss before I went over to work for our development team, and, and I returned to work for him. So that makes things easier. That's awesome. Yep. Um, so, I mean, we talked on the initial in, uh, episode, kind of how you got into this. Your I remember you, your mother was involved with this, Correct. right? My mom was in the industry and worked for Fannie Mae when I was growing up. And then uh, she went to work for a... Uh, 
Fannie Mae lender. They were actually a Fannie, Freddie and FHA lender and made me work for them anytime I was out of school. Yeah. And yep, I ended up sucked in and, and just fell in love. Uh you know, a lot of our our uh, mandates these days has to do with like DEI, diversity, women. Like, how do you how are you seeing that as a diverse woman, as they <laughs> call it in the uh, hiring world? Uh, like, how are you seeing that in just in the industry in general? So first, I love seeing it. It is something that makes me so excited because as a minority woman in our industry. There's been many years that I remember going to conferences and and I didn't see another person that looked like me. Yeah. Um, you know, for many years, there weren't very many women. You know, we, we all knew each other. And now you see more women in the industry, more women in leadership um, and more minorities in this industry. And it just it's so exciting to see. Um, I think people really just needed the opportunity. Um, and I think now that it's become something that people are more conscious of, it's really opening doors. And that makes me very excited. Um, I love the fact that Greystone is getting more involved. We have a strategic partnership with HAND um, out of Washington, D.C. to uh, assist them with, you know, supporting more minority and women owned businesses uh, getting into affordable housing. And that's something that, you know, we have been very thoughtful and strategic about. That's awesome. I mean, are you guys getting involved? Like, are you personal? Is there like, say you're a woman looking to break into affordable housing or just even real estate in general? Not, you know, not like a, what, what, what are there certain organizations you belong to? Are there certain avenues you should check out? Like what, what's out there? So there is crew, which is commercial real estate empowering women. Um, that one's been around. It's not limited to minorities, but it's it's definitely a woman focused um, real estate networking group. And it's amazing. And then there is another one. Renew real estate um, empowering. Oh, see, now I need to look it up. It's OK. <laughs> we'll, we'll hold. Okay. Real estate network empowering women. I actually okay. did have it. You're good. Don't, um, don't doubt yourself. That one is, uh, it's not national yet, um, but they have a chapter in Atlanta and one in DC. I believe they're expanding to Texas as well. Um, that one is also more women focused. It's really, it's a women's network, but I have noticed that one has a very high minority presence. Um, when I attend their different huh. meetings and in-person um, events, it's it's really- and Where is it located? Meeting. They um, they started in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. I believe they have expanded and are looking to continue to expand. I believe they have a chapter in Texas now. Huh. Nice. Yep. So those are the two that I have been involved in for the longest. I'm sure there's a lot more out there. But, um, you know, minority women looking to get into the industry, I would say definitely start with you know, anything that that includes real estate and beginning to network, beginning to become more visible um, and then going to the conferences that are local to you. That's another great opportunity. And call you and call me anytime. You after, can find me on LinkedIn after 10 p.m. is preferred, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm still a newlywed. Definitely not after 10 p.m. <laughs> Boing. <laughs> You're funny. Um, how do you like New Jersey? 
I miss Georgia. Yeah. I mean, no winter in Georgia. Or there is no. some. No, there is some, right? There's like two weeks each year. That's about it. I had to shovel snow in January. Oh, yeah. So, and you got to yeah, like I, scrape ice off your car window. Yeah, I did not like that. I, I told my husband I might just move to Georgia in the winter. I was like, there's plenty of people do it. I'll be no, a snowbird. Snowbirds, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we did end up buying a snowblower, which he said we did not need. And I said, if I live in New Jersey, I need a snowblower. Yeah. Um, so we did do that after the second snow. And it, it worked because it stopped snowing after I bought one. So I'll take that. It worked. Blew, I mean, I, if I live back, I miss New Jersey. But yeah, if I li- so I would love to live there like late spring through middle of uh, fall. You know what I mean? I'd love yeah. that. That's perfect. And it is so beautiful that time of year here. And we're close to the shore. It's, oh, it's, it's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Yep. That's so cool. Um, and so what do you, where do you see the affordable, like, what are you seeing in your deals? Are there any trends going on right now? Unfortunately, I am seeing trends and they're not the kind we like to see. Um, they are the increasing construction costs. Yeah. They are the increasing interest rate, you know, putting more pressure on loans that are debt service constrained. Um, but there is one positive trend that I am seeing that I do hope that it continues. And that is more, um, subordinate debt. We're seeing, you know, states, cities trying to be more creative to fill these gaps that we're seeing right now. And so if the market turns around and we don't have, you know, the increase in construction costs, that means more money to just build more units. And that's a trend that we all would like to see. Yeah. I mean, is that, I mean, there seems to be a lot more, uh, institutional capital getting to the space and more people. I mean, is that, that should be helpful, right? It depends. A lot of the institutional capital that I've seen personally getting into the space is looking at options on getting those properties out of their yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And so that's not a trend that we want to see. No. We, we want to see longer affordability restrictions, you know, new affordable units added to the market, not losing them. Um, so, you know, if the institutional capital continues I'm hoping that they start to say, okay, you know, maybe not the lower income affordable space, but the workforce space, you know, so that the police officers, the teachers, nurses, you know, they can live where they work. Um, There, a lot of them are being priced out of their markets and people don't think about them when they think about affordable housing. They, They think only the lower income, which is definitely needed, but there's a lot of middle America, you know, the, the, middle income right that's really having to move far from home or back in with mom and pop to afford you know housing um that i i'd like to see a focus back on that sector of the market me too that sounds great yeah i mean i live in the bay area right so that's obviously oh. like a big issue there yes um there's some we interviewed uh a firm called landed on this podcast that's trying to address that by you know them by chance no, but Landed. I listened to that podcast. You did? Okay, good. You are so good. You're like my best friend. I need more friends. Thank you. <laughs> um, and they're addressing that. You remember they were like putting like together p- private funds or something like that yeah. to address that, which is I'm not sure how they're doing. I should do a follow up with them. Um, and how's Greystone doing? Are you guys growing your affordable presence? We are. So we're growing overall. Um, I believe last year we saw, you know, another big increase in our growth. Um, And we are, you know, looking at any avenues and opportunities to continue to grow our affordable team. We uh, dedicated funds specifically to affordable bridge lending. 
so that, you know, borrowers that need short term money so that they can finance into longer term debt have that option. Um, but, yeah, we're always looking to expand on the affordable housing side. When are you going to be my podcast host, co-host again or for the first time? For the first time. When do you want me? I'm ready. Let's do it. I mean, I had someone lined up today who bailed. No, we had to move this yesterday because of Julio, unfortunately. Yeah. But Victoria wanted to join. She was she's at this conference with me. She was she had to leave today because her friend is an astronaut and going to outer space, I think, tomorrow or Saturday or something like that. So she had to go fly to Florida to go be part of that. That is worth leaving you for. I'm sorry. Never. <laughs> that's worth it. There's a lot of not so great excuses, but that's a I'm pretty a, good I'm a star. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. I already had the space around her. Me. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I would love for you to come on uh, some more so we can, you know, officially make this. And you're doing well. Your, I know your health wasn't doing well for a while. Are you doing better? I am doing great. So I, uh, what was it, three weeks before my wedding, found out I had cancer. Um, How did you find that out, by the way? Like, is it like a test? Is it normal physical? No, not at all. I actually had been suffering from back pain for the last few years and kept going to a doctor and uh, thought it was back pain and had flown back to Atlanta to get ready for the wedding and was just in so much pain. I ended up in the ER and they thought it was um, kidney stones because of the fact that I kept saying back pain. Yeah. Um, and they ran a CT and they were like, okay, you're right. It's not your kidneys. There's a mass in your back. Shit. Um, and they could not biopsy it because of where it was against my spine. Um, and so they said, you know, we're going to run all these other tests to figure out what's going on and try and manage your pain. And it took the whole week. I was in the hospital the whole week. Um, but they finally said, okay, we've done, you know, two MRIs, two CTs, we've done ultrasounds. We don't know what it is. We're going to try a colonoscopy and an endoscopy. Since you'll be under, we'll go both ways. <laughs> and, uh, they said uh, pretty much after they started the colonoscopy, they saw a mass and they biopsied it. And uh, I think that was like that Thursday, that Monday. They told That's got to be scary. Yeah. And and two weeks before your wedding, not exactly what you were expecting. Um, and so they asked us not to go on our honeymoon because they didn't want me to catch COVID. Um, and they basically wanted to start like the week after the honeymoon with radiation and chemo. Mm -hmm. um, and so... They said, don't go on your honeymoon. Don't leave the States. But I convinced my now husband to go to Miami. I'm like, mm -hmm. I want some sunshine. And we came back from Miami with COVID. No shit. Yep. Oh, my God. It was, it was crazy because we had no symptoms. My husband just thought it would be smart to just get tested. Like, we had no symptoms. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Whatever you want to do. Mr. Roll. Rowl. Rowl. <laughs> Mr. Rowl. Rowl. Yep. And, uh. We got tested and both tested positive. So we ended up having to delay treatment for that. And then uh, we we went through treatment and, uh, you know, they make you do test after test after that. But I uh, had a PET scan a couple months ago now and uh, all clear. So thank doing great. be to God. I'm so happy yes. about that. Yes, I me heard too. It when I heard you say that or when we, you know, we've been checking in over the years. I was uh, yeah. I was praying for you. So I'm glad it all worked out. Well, I appreciate all the prayers because they definitely were heard. And, you know, God's just so good. I'm here. You're here. 
Yep. But you might not be so happy of what comes next. <laughs> hot seat? Are you ready for the hot seat again? Bring it on. <laughs> The Hot Seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. Dot com k-k-r-e-s-e-t.com right. i was thinking we used to do one where we asked favorite books um and i'm gonna do that one again i don't know I, I, we haven't been doing that lately but i, I like to you know like you have any book recommendations for folks uh whether it's just you know your life experience or work experience or just anything along those lines so my brother sent me a book and it is actually a great one. Okay. Um, it is the New York Times 36 hours. Um, it is 150 cities from Abu Dhabi to Zurich. And it basically gives you information on all of these cities that you might want to visit. And I love travel. Nice. That is the one thing I've missed the most since COVID. Um, and so I use this as a, a way to escape. Um, go to different cities without having to actually go. And then I can also plan out when I am able to go, what I want to do in all of these. What's cities. it called? It's 36 hours by the New York times. Yeah. And it's 150 cities from Abu Dhabi to Zurich. I might order that when we're done. 36 hours. Okay. Perfect. That's and then um, each of the cities, it has pictures and just really cool facts about each of the cities. Let me see. How big is it? It's pretty thick. Yeah, it's a thick one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. All right. Uh, do you have anyone where you already kind of gave advice? What's your most memorable deal? My most memorable deal is a deal that Greystone did in Washington, D.C. Okay. It is uh, located in Chinatown, and it's called Wa Luck. Wa Luck House. I like that. Um, and it was a Section 8 deal that uh, was acquired and they were doing a substantial renovation, but they were keeping all the tenants in place. And so it wasn't a transaction where they were pricing tenants out of the market, but they were improving the property and preserving it. And it, the property itself just had an amazing history. Um, it had, you know, these tenants that had been in the units forever. Um, and it was, you know, a historic Chinese, Chinese population in Chinatown. Um, and it's just, it's a beautiful asset. And that's probably one of my most memorable transactions. And one of the, the best names. Waluk. Waluk. Yes. That's great. Uh, what do you look for in hiring folks? I know we, we talked about this one before, but I don't know if you maybe oh, some, yeah. maybe some new listeners. So I actually look more for personality. 
and um, work ethic. I feel like, you know, even if you don't know what it is that we do or what you're going to be doing, but you have the ability to learn a hard worker and you have the right personality to fit in with our team, a team player, um, that everything else can be taught. And so I think people that I've interviewed have been surprised by the type of interview questions that I ask because they really aim to get to know the person. Um, it's funny. Give me an example. What is it? One of them. Well, a bunch of people remember my question uh, from the last time. Yeah, we talked yeah. And they reached out to me and, and a bunch of my friends have started using it. But one of my favorite go-tos is just tell me a joke. Um, oh, yeah, that's a great one. I forgot. I forgot. Yeah, now I remember. Yeah, because it, it really tells you, is the person creative? Can they think on their feet? Do they think under pressure? Um, I've had so many people that I've interviewed that are just like, I don't know a joke. And that's it. They don't what's try. Your, how about I'm interviewing you? Tell me a joke. What's your favorite joke? Or one that you can think of right now? I can think of a few, but none of them are appropriate for this type of... Hubba, hubba. <laughs> You're getting a little spicy on this one. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I have bad dad jokes. Those are like my go-tos. <laughs> Well, I'm a dad, so yeah, I got a little, I got those too. Um, okay, uh, I'll tell you one that uh, one of my analysts told me, and it, it tickles me, and it's it's so bad. Okay. So, what did the male pig say to the attractive female pig? What did the male pig say to the attractive female pig? Da ham. <laughs> I love that one. Da ham. I'm gonna use that. Um. But since uh, my friends heard this podcast, I've heard a lot more good interview questions to get to know, you know, people that you're interviewing. Um, one of which is, you know, what was the last movie you saw? Because that'll tell you, you know, is that person, you know, only interested in those nice foreign films with the subtitles? Yeah. You know, is it an action type of guy? You know, is it a family person that watches the Disney movies? Um, same thing with um, board games, you know, what's the last board game you played? And, uh, through the pandemic, I think a lot of people dusted off those board games. I love this. Um, so you get to know, you know, what people do at home and in their free time without having to say specifically, well, what do you do on the weekends? Yeah. All right. I'm going to start using those. I am. Um, how do you, your real estate that you work on your job, yep. how do you have impact? on the world? So I try to have impact on the world by truly just being myself. I try to be a positive person. Um, and I feel like if I'm that, I set an um, expectation for the people around me. I, I also set a good example um, so that people, you know, people tend to emulate the environment that they're in. So if I'm being positive, then hopefully that's having a positive impact on the people around me. Um, so hopefully it's a positive impact. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, you have a positive impact on this podcast for sure. Well, thank you. Um, I don't know. I, I think I think I don't realize how much I impact people around me until I hear it from others. You know, I just I try and be the best version of myself. And, and that's all I can do. Well, I think we got the best version of you because it was a great interview or not even an interview anymore. It's more just catching up. Just catching uh, up. We should it's do a, we should do a quarterly catch up with Farah. We won't even have to put it on the books because I'll be co-hosting with you. We'll be talking all I the time. I would love, I would love for you to co-host with me. Um, well, Farah Jackson, roll, Raul, 
Mrs. Far <laughs> Mrs. Jackson Rowell. Roll. Wow. Uh it was great to see you again. So Thank happy you. you're doing better or doing well. Thriving. Thank you. And uh say hi to everyone in New Jersey for me. They, they all know me. Um, <laughs> and let's keep in touch. Sounds good, Chris. Thank you.